0: I'm reminded of the words of the prophet Isaiah who talks about the peaceable kingdom at the end of of that glorious passage. He says, and a child shall lead them. May our children be examples of peace for all of us. Thanks be to God. So we are beginning a new sermon series today as indicated in your order of worship. It's called Back to the Old School. And so for four weeks, we're going to spend time in the Old Testament. Uh, maybe you see that printed there. I hope that you do. Um, and my thought is that we need some of the foundational blocks of Judaism to inform how we understand ourselves as Christians. Jesus was Jewish. He, he led life and lived life uh, wrapped in Torah, wrapped in the Jewish scriptures, the law and the prophets. So to understand Jesus means to understand his scriptures and therefore to understand more fully his teaching and his ethics. For example, last week, this is a pop quiz, by the way, last last week we discussed the parable of... Oh, good, yeah, both of y'all got it, thanks. The The parable of the Good Samaritan, yeah. In which a lawyer... Asked Jesus, what must I do to inherit eternal life? To which Jesus replies, what is written in the law? Well, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Love your neighbor as yourself. How did the lawyer know that? Well, he inherited it from his Jewish family. It comes from Deuteronomy, and it comes from Leviticus. In our communion liturgy, in just a moment, we're going to hear the words of Jesus. He talks about a new commandment. That I give you, or a new covenant that I give you. What does that language, commandment, and covenant mean? It's part of a bigger story, a bigger narrative. So Christians, we Christians, if, if those building blocks are so important to the Jewish faith, they need to be that important to us as, as Christians as well. The Hebrew Bible helps us in that way. It's also that the time of year when so many of our students are heading back all ages, they're heading back to school and they're going to be informed and given information from so many angles, math and literature and science and history and foreign languages. But what most of our students will not receive from their schools um, is, are these Biblical building blocks, these Biblical foundations, these Biblical uh, platform on which the rest of their lives need to be built. So, all of us, we may learn everything that that the world of academia has to teach us, but if we miss how to love God and neighbor or why we should love God and neighbor, then we've kind of missed our whole purpose for being on this planet. Spoiler alert, we're not here for academics and careers and accolades or for any other reason. All of those are secondary Only to being in harmony with God and with each other. So for four weeks, I would invite you to commit to this building process, laying the foundation. So for four weeks, four lessons from four of the Hebrew scriptures, back to the old school. The very first lesson comes from Deuteronomy chapter six. Listen for the word of the Lord. Hear, O Israel, The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep these words that I am commanding you today in your heart. Recite them to your children and talk about them when you are at home and when you are away, when you lie down and when you rise. Bind them as a sign on your hand. Fix them as an emblem on your forehead." and write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. In less than five days, it's like four days, 19 hours, and 30 minutes to be exact, Susan and I will drop off our younger daughter, Ella Kate, at her dorm, where she will spend the next nine months of her life with people she has never met and people we have not had the chance to vet. So I'm, I need your thoughts and prayers. I need a little more than your thoughts and prayers. I need like oxygen at this point and maybe a muscle relaxer. Certainly some pizza and some Kleenex would be helpful too. Actually, both of our, our daughters will be starting back to school This month, our older daughter, Caroline, is in pharmacy school, and she'll be diving back into that program, having survived the undergraduate gauntlet already. But here Susan and I are on the brink of sending our final child into the world, away from home, knowing that she will not come back, at least not permanently. She's leaving the nest, and life will not be the same again. Susan and I will be empty nesters. You know what that means? We're gonna (laughs) partay. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. (laughs) kidding. Irma Bombeck says when mothers talk about the depression of the empty nest, they're not mourning the passing of all those wet towels on the floor, the music that numbs your teeth, or the bottle of capless shampoo dribbling down the shower drain, they're, they're upset because they've gone from being a supervisor of a child's life to a spectator. And things like empty nester syndrome, it's, it's real. I'm already feeling this weight of like I'm supposed to be doing more at home than I am, right? Um, or that I've got all this free time all of a sudden that it's quiet now, there was a comedian who talked about the symptoms associated with, with what I'm describing. He said, you know you have this syndrome when uh, you're surprised when you come home and the house looks exactly like it did when you left it, you know, right? Or on a bad weather day, you're still checking to see which schools are, will be closed. Or, or you're shocked when you get into the car and the radio's still on the station where you left it. Or you walk into your child's room and you do the sniff test, you know that, to find out where the dirtiest clothes are on the floor. Or... You have a panic attack that somehow your parenting has scarred your child and you envision that you know they're gonna be a failure and end up on the Jerry Springer show at some point, right? Well, we're not at the Jerry Springer point yet, but this will be a heavy week for us. We're sending our daughter out, and the question with which I have been wrestling all week and will this coming week is with both of our girls. Have I done enough? Have I taught them enough? You know, changing flat tires and how to manage a calendar and hopefully how to manage their money. But have I, have I poured myself into them enough? Because when I've, I've read through the Shema, that's the text we're reading today, "'Hear, O Israel, the Lord is God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your might. Recite these to your children.'" in their coming and in their going and when they lie down and when they rise up. Have I done that? Maybe not explicitly, but surely they know that God alone is Lord, right? We did, a few years ago, we did bring home with us a mezuzah. And at some point when we get moved into our house, help us Lord, on our doorpost, we will place our mezuzah in which... Is the Shema and the Ten Commandments as a sign that marks our gate and our doorpost that there's something different about this household? The Shema is the earliest prayer in the Jewish faith. It's to be prayed every morning as the first words off of a person's lips. It's to be prayed every evening as the final words on a person's lips. I want to tell you that the first two words of the Shema are radical. Shema means listen. Israel means to wrestle with, or those who wrestle with. So this prayer, the most ancient prayer that's recited two times a day in the Hebrew faith, in the Jewish faith, literally translates, listen up, all of you who wrestle with God. In other words... Maybe this prayer isn't for those with a casual kind of faith. The assumption is that if you don't wrestle with God, then maybe this prayer is not for you. But how often do you wrestle with God? Israel certainly did. Listen up, all of you who are daring enough as an act of faith, not fear, but faith to wrestle with God. The Shema is is the creed. It's the Pledge of Allegiance. It's their anthem. It's their song. Why? Because the entirety of one's purpose in life or a nation's purpose in life can be summed up in the Shema. God and God alone. And because God, therefore you shall love. It's simple. God and God alone. There it is. So there's a story of a little boy and his father is a mechanical engineer and teaches at a very prestigious university. And so one day the little boy was playing outside and he comes running in and he says, Mom, what time of day is it? What time is it? She said, Well, I don't have on my watch. I'm kind of busy. Go in the living room and and ask your father what time it is. And he goes, Oh, I didn't want to know how to make the watch. I just wanted to know what time it is. I think sometimes when it comes to our faith, we complicate it too much. There's 66 books in, in our canon, and, and within those 66 books, there's poetry, and there's law, and there's stories, there's narrative, you know, there's, there's history, there's apocalypse, there's really strange names, and really strange places, and, and events, and all of these crazy visions, and these prophecies, all of that is within the 66 books that we know as our Bible. And for 2,000 years, the church has been teasing apart doctrine and there's commentary after commentary after commentary on these 66 books. You can learn all kinds of self-help topics from the Bible, ranging from how to better your prayer life or, or your marriage or how to manage your money and your time. It's, it's, all, it's all there. But if we overcomplicate... The message of the Bible to something where we miss that it's all about God and because it's about God it's about loving God and others then we've we've missed something love God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might listen up all of you God wrestlers you shall love that's the message of the Shema first of all listen one of the things that we've forgotten how to do as a culture is listen to each other we talk around each other and we talk past each other and over each other and we talk behind each other and we talk in spite of each other on platforms like social media what we've lost is the theology and the discipline of listening So the most ancient prayer in Judaism, which should be ours as well, begins with a powerful word, church. Listen. Listen to God and to each other. If we don't learn how to listen to God, and if we don't learn how to listen to each other, like passing the peace, then how will the world know how to listen to God and how to listen to each other? Then there's this challenge. Listen. And then it says, You shall love. You shall love. There's your sermon for today. So, parents, with, with children in and, and school, grandparents, guardians, listen up. If I had to go back and, and do it all over again, I would lay a foundational block in my home where I told my children every single day listen. And then your number one job to listen is then to love. Listen and love. Because I'm here to tell you, the way to change the world is by changing one life at a time. How do you change a life? You listen to their story, and then you love them through their story. So when I read about headlines like the shooting in El Paso, And then a few hours later, the shooting in Dayton, Ohio, two mass shootings again in our country within a few hours of one another. What I want to say to my family and to your family and to us as a church family and to families all across this great land of ours is listen up, God wrestlers. There is one God, one God alone, and that God is greater than any active shooter, greater than any evil or injustice or oppression in whatever forms it presents itself, even a lone situation like El Paso and Dayton dealt with. Do you want to change the world? Find someone who needs to be heard. Want to change the world? Find someone to love. That's what we get from the power of the Shema. Because there will be a day, friends, when there is a peaceable kingdom, when the lion and the lamb will lie together, when swords are beat into plowshares and spears into pruning hooks, and we will not study war anymore. Amen? We all end up farmers, if you want to know how the story ends. A couple of years ago, Coca-Cola released a very powerful television ad It came out during the season of Ramadan. And what it does is it places six men in a room together around a table, but there's a twist. And the ad opens and it reads with these lines. It takes seven seconds to build a prejudice based on someone's appearance. So we invited six strangers to see each other in a different light by putting them in the dark. So seated around this Table are these six men, complete darkness. We, the viewers, are looking through this, um, this night vision camera, right? And so they have no way of formulating an opinion about somebody based on, on the way they look. So what they do is they start sharing stories. And so there's a well manicured, we can see the people, they can't see each other. There's a well manicured businessman uh, who says he's a heavy metal guitar player. <laughs> And then seated right next to him is this, this person in, it covered in tattoos all over, over his head and all over his body who looks like he should be the heavy metal rocker. But, but he studies behavioral and, and clinical and childhood psychology. And then there's a, a young European guy who is so fluent and astute uh, in the, Eastern, the Middle Eastern languages, especially the, the Arabic language. He has such a command for it. You just don't envision that. And then there's the Arabic guy in, in full Arabic dress who says he loves to, to cook for people and to share his food and, and get people around a common table together. And then there's a guy who is an avid extreme sports person, but he's, he's in a wheelchair. None of them can see each other. So they go through this dialogue for several minutes. They form images in their minds based on dialects and movements and, and occupational kind of stuff. That all they have is words and they're forming in their minds what they think the other person looks like, and then the lights are brought up, smashing every conception that they have of of each other. And that social experiment reminded me of something in the Shema. Oh, the kicker is, from beneath their chairs, they pull out this box. It's a familiar red and white box and they open it and it has a cylindrical can of Coke. You know, the red can with the little white twist, but it doesn't say Coca-Cola on it. Instead, it has a message in their own language that says, labels are for cans, not for people. So I've been thinking about that experiment and the Shema because the Shema historically is meant to be prayed by covering one's eyes in the dark because left up to to our own devices and our own minds and our own influences, we would have this understanding of what God wants for our life and who God is, right? We would just create God in our own image ultimately. But for just a moment, the Shema challenges us to go dark and and to blind ourselves to from whatever it is that's distracting us all of the grief all of the chaos all of the walls all of the headlines all of the all of the junk that's in life just for a moment the shema says listen listen you shall love you shall love because in this world, as soon as the hand comes off and the light illuminates us again, we're going to see the pain. We're going to see the violence. We're going to see the headlines. But, but just for a moment, we've had this opportunity to focus to focus on something bigger than us. And that, that reminds me of my final point. After the Holocaust, Rabbi Eliezer Silver was commissioned. He's from Cincinnati, and he was commissioned to go uh, back over into parts of Europe and to try to find Jewish families, especially Jewish children, many of whom were, were housed, being housed in monasteries all across Europe. And so Rabbi Silver, he goes into a particular monastery in Krakow, and he meets with the priest, and he asks the priest, if before the children go down for the night, I, could I have just, just a moment with them? He says, sure. So he goes into the great banquet hall. He he gets the crowd of children very silent. And he says these words, Shema Israel. Shema Israel. And from the crowd, he begins to hear the whimper of children. And he looks over at the priest, and the priest looks over at him, and they realize what has happened These children, before the darkness came and before their mamas were sent off to concentration camps, their mothers would recite these words to them at night and again in the morning. So for these children, they heard it as an invitation, a gateway to come back home. So let me ask you a question. What words do you think should be indelibly a part of our children's story so that when the nighttime does come, they know their way back home. I think it should sound something like this. The Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. It's the very first prayer that Jewish children learn It's the very last prayer that is prayed before they die. It should be one of the earliest prayers that we teach our children. And it should be among the last words on our lips as well. Why? Because it's a prayer of defiance. It signals a radical faith that no matter how divided we are as a world, or as a country, or as a denomination, or as families, There is one God. God and God alone will win the day when God's people will listen. And when we listen, if we're daring enough, we will hear these words, you shall love. So, listen, all of you God wrestlers. You shall love. Amen.